0: On August 11th, ballots are due for City Council Position 2 in Portland. In this runoff, Loretta Smith and Dan Ryan are asking for your vote. Today, we have Loretta Smith with us to discuss her vision for the role and the city and city of Portland. Loretta, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you?
0: Good, good. Uh, yeah, um, like we said a little bit earlier, I'm glad it's not too, too hot, but yeah, getting used to this uh, Portland summer.
1: <laughs> that's right
2: so, so uh,
0: go ahead i'm sorry
1: awesome. no i'm just trying to remember the question
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is what happens when you're on zoom you've been on zoom all day it is like, okay
0: so i'm sure you've been you've been doing a, a ton of interviews i'm sure it's this is a season. ton a ton okay yeah. where are you not getting asked enough about what what's getting missed
1: I think what's getting missed is that we're not having the opportunity, like you're giving me today, to do a a lot of retail politics because that's what I like to do. I like to be out and about and because of COVID and the protesting, that makes it really hard. Um, But I would like folks to ask me more about my accomplishments uh, at the county, what I care about, why I care about stuff, um, keep things current in terms of police accountability and um, police reform, what does that look like for me? Um, I don't think we, we got that out as much. I think Jefferson talked to me about it when we first came out, but you know, I'm an African-American woman who raised a black son in this, in this community, and we have a lot of um, social justice things we need to correct around the police. And I think that I should be asked more about what is my voice? What is my thought on uh, police accountability and police reform?
2: Is your voice getting drowned out in that discussion? And if so, how come?
1: I, you know, I think the Black voice in general is getting drowned out. Um, when, you know, whenever I get an opportunity to talk to someone in radio or TV or anyone who's interested, I talk about police reform. I talk about the Five Point Plan where I want to take away qualified immunity, take $50 million off of the $250 million uh, budget. And I want to make sure that uh, those rubber bullets, uh, the chokehold and the tear gas that they're doing down at the, um, the Justice Center, that they stop using that and have an independent um, a community review that's put on the ballot measure. So for me, I uh-huh. think, you know, it's, it's real simple. There are simple things that people want. Uh, then you have a more dramatic approach where people want to totally defund the police. And I think that there is a difference um, in totally defunding and having an opportunity to, to recreate or re, reimagine what public safety could look like. But you have to have that in play. I know I want to reallocate some of those dollars from the police budget and put it into social services, so that it can help Black and Brown communities, you know, purchase homes, um, small business loans, to give wraparound supports for our young people. And so those are the kind of things that I would much prefer to put those dollars in. Um, Fifty million is not a is not a stretch at all because before Danielle Outlaw came, she. Um, she looked at the situation here and she said she thought we needed more police. Well, she got it. She got an additional budget. They have not used that budget in the last two years because they haven't been able to to hire new police. And so for me, if we're going to reimagine how our community is going to look, we need to take those dollars that were put in there, which is about $50 million and we need to reallocate those dollars.
0: Of that 50 million, we're talking about reallocating. What, would be the highest priority?
1: Um, I think social and economic development for black and brown communities, BIPOC communities. Um, I think it's so important to make sure that those businesses in the black community, that they're able to not just survive, but to thrive hmm. after <laughs> COVID. And I don't want us to go back to where we were. I want us to go to a new normal. I want us to go to better than where we were. Because right now, we have an opportunity to go big, and go big in a big way. If we're not going to go big as a community, then we just need to go home. Because right now, in this moment, we have a moment To really carve out what our community can look like for the next 20 years it could set the foundation for us going forward and that's why i want to be a portland city council person i have a two-year-old granddaughter and a six-year-old granddaughter i want to leave a city like a city that i grew up in where my grandparents were able to purchase a home fifteen thousand dollars and a big old portland style house in northeast portland that now that's worth six hundred thousand dollars or more and they could send their kids to, to college and, and, and retire. You can't do that now. People are so rent-burdened. They're trying to figure out how to um, make ends meet. Uh, even prior to COVID, people were working, you know, two and three jobs just to make it. And so I want to put in some policies, you know, I want to go from protest to policy to actually putting resources into the community. And, That's where I'm best at. That is my best and my strongest suit is to be able to match up a problem with a policy and put a put a a dollar amount behind it.
2: Let's jump off that for a second. You said that one of the things that's been drowned out in the midst, in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of an uprising around black lives and police brutality. One of the things that's been missed, and, and I would argue the dynamics of this campaign And I will say, just so I lay it out there, I don't think you've been treated fairly in a a myriad ways during this campaign. And I I even want to talk about some of that, but just to, just to Mm -hmm. share with listeners, my own bias, that's my bias. Mm -hmm. Not trying to take anything away from the other cat running. Just, I don't think you've been treated fairly. No. uh, I find you delightful and I don't know why everybody doesn't see that. Okay. So so the, (laughs) uh, you said that one of the things that's getting missed is your accomplishments. If you were going to name the three things where you connected policy to problem to policy to resources, water and, you know, don't you don't have to name three. You can pick one or two. You go to four. But if you I, can, I can name five, but I'll
1: name three just to be just just to give you an example. I did something yeah. that no one ever did before. I was able to put two million dollars into a pot of permanent money for communities of color. I built a coalition called the Promise Coalition, and it was with Latino Network, ERCO, NAYA, SEI and, and Head Start. And I put that group together because I wanted us to get prepared for the, to, to apply for the federal money. And in order to apply for a federal money, you had to put a, a, a coalition like that together that served all the different uh, demographics. I put that together and then doubled back and went to the feds my last year and got $30 million for this group. No one has ever put these kind of resources from the general fund. For, for organizations of color to help with wraparound supports. They said, our kids are not graduating from high school at the same rate as everyone else. We need some help. If we have more dollars, we can help more of our kids and they could graduate from high school. I saw that, I heard that. Mm-hmm. I answered that call of duty and this is why I got pretty much beat up from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I was trying to get resources for people who had never had them before. Mm -hmm. Second, I saw, I had a town hall meeting, a black men's town hall meeting. My, in three months in, it was standing room only. It was almost close to 300 people from age 14 to 78. People there said, you know, back in the day, commissioner, we used to have summer jobs for our kids. We don't have any out of that program. I started my summer jobs program with 25 kids, and I built that program over the years. Before I left, I put that program in permanent budget, and we were serving 650 kids that we were paying for. I even got invited to the White House when President Obama was there for the work that I had done around summer jobs. So I don't care about that kind of thing, but I do care about being able to speak truth to power, and I was happy that me and Andrew uh, McGough from uh, Work Systems were able to go to the White House to talk about what we did. You have to be very deliberate and intentional when you're doing this kind of work. If you don't call it out specifically what you want to do, you're not going to be able to make um, make policy from politics to protest work. And you and you and you have to not be afraid. See, I was not afraid to sit there and say, No, we're going to sit here in the budget until you pay for. Uh, 50 kids until you pay for 100 kids and then every year i upped the kids i doubled it no this year we're going to do 200 kids and you know yes i did i held up the, the budget process like everybody else did for their projects too but i was clear because i was one of those kids i was one of those CETA kids that got the jtpa money and which is now the wea money um for underserved kids to get jobs And so it worked for me. And I wanted other kids to be able to have that opportunity. So that's why I run for office. That's why I lend my voice. And I think my voice today is probably going to be more appreciated than it was while I was at Multnomah County. But we were very effective, and we got some stuff done. There is no way you can pass over 100 resolutions. Um, I had to get two people over 100 times, and they weren't all the same two people. You know how it is, uh, Jefferson. So you may disagree with me, but you cannot disagree with good policy.
2: I wanna follow up on that, Loretta. You said that you think that your voice will be more appreciated in the city going forward. Why do you say that?
1: Because right now, um, finding ways to help black communities, black and brown communities, is, is now fashionable. When I was doing, I was going uphill. And so everybody's trying to find somebody of color that they can uh, link up with to do something for for black and brown people. And I got a lot of ideas. So um, (laughs) I threw a lot of those up on the wall. I can just pull down and say, okay, what about this? What about this? I want to do a uh, home ownership because I'm about building wealth, right? There's a lot of conversation at the city with um, uh, Chloe Udaly and Commissioner Hardesty about renters and that kind of thing. And I was a renter before. And that's what made me want to own something I don't think we should keep our black and brown communities in affordable rental units. We need to figure out how do we help them buy a home. I bought a home working for Senator Wyden, and and I don't even think I even made $40,000 a year. But because there was a program that we had, I was able to get in to help me with the down payment. Mm -hmm. And then from there, it just, it just, Flew off, and then I got rental properties in the the whole nine yards. But you got to start somewhere. And so I'm not always trying to talk about renting. I want to be talking to some black and brown people about buying something. And if the city really wants to do something, how about this? Some of those businesses and buildings downtown that people have boarded up and that haven't been used for for millions of years. Let's talk about getting a a, a group of black folks to own some of those buildings downtown. That's what I want to do. I don't want to just do social services you know we have to have a whole social economic and political agenda and i'm about building some wealth i know i'm trying to leave something for my grandkids and i want everybody else in every zip code to be able to do that too but we have to make we have to start somewhere
0: loretta are you held to a different standard when it comes to yes sir
1: Yes,
2: sir. Okay, yes, he, I am. The, he didn't <laughs> finish the question. I knew what he was but, uh, getting ready to say.
0: <laughs> so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna keep that answer. And I'm gonna continue with the question. I'm pretty sure hey, go it's gonna ahead, be the go same ahead. answer. I'll be quiet. I, I won't be, no. Loretta. No, this, no, please be, Loretta. Please, don't be anyone else. Yeah,
2: I agree. Please.
0: <laughs> Are you held to a different standard when it comes to people expecting you to get along with every prospective person you will work with on City Council?
1: As a policymaker, you're gonna disagree with other policymakers. It is okay to disagree, but when I disagree with folks, people say I saw in the paper the Tribune said I was in a feud. It takes two people to be in a feud, right? At least yeah. two. Yeah. I'm not in a feud with anybody. I'm you know, yes, am I disagreeable at times? Yes I am, because I'm fighting for something so important. And let me tell you that the the one of the fights that I had it was in 2016 after Donald Trump had got elected. We were getting lots of calls from people in the community who were immigrants and refugees, and they were scared to go to the homeless shelters or even to the health clinic um, libraries. And they wanted to know if they went, would they be picked up by ICE? And so I was like, wow, I gotta do something about this. So I went and talked to, to my colleagues and said, I wanna do a sanctuary county." Can we do that before the end of the year? Because people are afraid since this election. And so then I heard this some other folks wanted to do it. They wanted me to wait on it. And I was like, no, I'm not waiting. I got my three votes. I'm getting ready to do this. So jump on this board so we can give at least the community some understanding that we, when you see that green triangle, we are not going to refer you to ICE. And so I did that. And in doing so, people said that I was disagreeable. People come to me all the time with ideas as a commissioner, other commissioners, and if that's what you want for your community, fine, I'm with it. But when it comes to me asking for stuff, it's always pulling teeth and there's a double standard. There's a double standard with women and men. It is okay for men to be disagreeable. They're, they're never called bullies or anything. They're just called, you know, they're very smart. They're, they're, they're thoughtful.
0: Assertive.
2: Mm hmm. We we might have a discussion about that. But let me ask this. Are white Portlanders too sensitive?
1: I don't know that white Portlanders are too sensitive. Okay. I I just don't think so. I just think that people in inside baseball, people who are political, they're uh, very territorial. And somebody like me who's worked for a U.S. senator for 20 years, I've been, you know, me and Chris went in. I was very aggressive about what are we gonna do? I'm, we're sitting here on our thumbs. I was ready to go. I'm used to the fast pace of a of a congressional office, um, and so I wanted to make some things happen for people quickly. And it was it was it was a different pace. And once I caught up to the pace, um, we still were you know we still were putting out policies, talking about stuff that other people weren't. People weren't used to county commissioners um, really pushing in the way that we push for policies. So, I mean, and it's okay,
2: but. Um, as a leader, as a manager, as a colleague, what are strengths of yours that are getting missed?
1: I think the fact that I'm very compassionate and I have a, um, I, when, I'm, when I'm working with folks, and particularly folks, if you're talking about young people who, who want to come into this, this sphere I want them to be excellent. So I try to teach them from a mother's standpoint. And I think that that, you know, that's what's mistaken and misunderstood about me. I have a son and I always wanted him to be excellent. And I always had people in my life who took time to tell me how to be excellent and and how to be accountable. Uh, Being accountable is not being too pushy. It is just saying look this is where the bar is this is where we're going to try to meet and i I need you to meet or exceed that because that's going to keep you excellent
0: we think there's a dynamic uh because the city elected joanne that they don't need to be as aware of sexism and misogyny in this race what are your thoughts
1: i don't know i i mean if they think that that they're if you're saying that there shouldn't be another woman or another woman of color on the board, um, if that's what you're saying, I, I don't know. Um, all I know is that people that I talk to, they're not looking at my color, they're looking at me being able to uh, govern and to think pragmatically and to understand governments. And this is not a time for on the job training. I I like the work that my opponent did at All Hands Raised, but this job is not a fundraising job. This job is very serious. You have to have relationships on every level of government, and you have to understand the uses of of dollars that are coming in. It's not just enough to say, yeah, I can work on getting additional dollars, but most of my career in Senator Wyden's office, I was responsible for looking at a multi-trillion dollar budget And when community came to me and asked for federal dollars, my job was to identify where those pockets of money was. And I learned that over a a long uh, length of time. And so I know the uses, how much you can ask for, when you can ask for it, if it's available. And actually the last 10 years, we we did appropriations out out of the Portland office. So I'm very secure on who I am. We did three stimulus packages in recession, one in 2001, 2008 and 2009. And so you have to be very intentional and deliberate and you have to not give up. See, I don't give up. My mother told me at a very young age, she said, you are gonna have to work. And I was the oldest. She said, you're gonna have to work um, three times as hard as everybody else as a woman to get what you want. And you're going to have to even work harder than that as a Black woman. And then sometimes you're not going to meet your goal, but you're going to have to try hard to keep up. And so that's what you have to do. This is um, my mom. She prepared me for this. That's the reason why I'm back here running. Um, I can tell you from 2018, there is not one person who I ran against in 2018, and there were 11, that came back to run in 2020. Mm. So I'm not afraid of the conversation. I'm not afraid of what you might call me. But what I do know is that there is a group of people in the city of Portland who appreciate my voice and who appreciate me uh, being the uh, elected official that I am. I'm gonna do some things differently just so that my approach may not turn folks off, but I think it is totally misunderstood in a way because men can do anything, say anything, and um, it's okay. So don't take offense, you guys but
0: <laughs>
1: there is a double standard. Um, I look at Dan and then I look at even, you know, I'll even go there, Sam Adams. I mean, he was brought back by a tabloid with a few articles, positive articles, and they endorsed him in the primary. Um, and so for me, why, if, if I'm, I'm doing this, I'm looking at the scales, why does he get a pass for something that he did, and I don't? Mm. So there is a double standard. And no, 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 uh, let's ask,
2: uh, go ahead, go ahead. I, I don't mean to. I don't want to interrupt you.
1: No, I'm just saying it's just, it's a double double standard. And and I and I understand it because it's called systemic racism, but nobody wants to talk about that.
2: <laughs> so you brought up the Belamit week. You had made the decision not to seek the Willamette Week endorsement. Yes, sir. Explain that decision.
1: Well, the decision came, um, they they had -um, re-updated a story, uh, what I call a hit piece on me from 2015. And so it was back up at the queue. So when you search my name, That story came back up and it said it was just updated a few days ago. And I'm like, what's the update from 2015? And there wasn't anything. And so we called them on it and they said, oh, yeah, that was a mistake. He he was trying to make sure everything was in there. Well, how can you do that? The story is the story. And so, you know, like when you re-optimize something, now you get something negative because they didn't have any any negative stories up to date on me. So they re-optimized the story. And so I said, you know what, you guys? They're they're not trying, I'm I'm tired of of their tactics. I'm tired of how they treat African-American elected officials. I didn't like how they did uh, Danielle outlaw and and created her in this monster face uh, on the front page of the Willamette Week. I didn't like how they laughed at Lou Frederick's uh, grandfather who was a freed slave when his pants was unzipped when Lou ran for county commissioner back in 2008 or 2006. So for me, I had had enough and they had, it it, it, so, it wasn't so much about me, but that was the last straw and they got caught doing what they did, what they always do. And I just called them out and said, look, I'm not even going to interview. I'm not going to interview with you. You're not going to support me anyway. And I'm tired of what you're doing to our community. Every time we try to have some kind of um, political, economic, or social success, if, if you're not the person that we're pushing that, that we get dogged in the in the in the interim, so I just said I'm through with it, you know.
2: What was the reaction you received? How did you were not the first person to offer uh, offer a similar critique? Did you hear anything back?
1: Yeah, I got a lot of um, uh, calls from people saying that that was brave, that was courageous. Um, you know, they'll probably come after you even harder. I said, what else can they do? They've come at me so hard. I'm just doing like this, putting my Wonder Woman um, bracelets up <laughs> and blocking everything. So, I mean, what, what, what more can you say? Everything that you've said about me is old. It was a, it was a mischaracterization to begin with. Um, I know what it's about, but uh, they, they say that this is reporting, you know, reporting the news. It's not reporting the news. It's you have your favorites who you want to be in elected office. I am not one of your favorites. and When you write stuff about me and, and I see that you get caught red handed trying to make me look bad, so it's okay. I, I'll, I'll accept what, what, what's coming, but the voters did speak. The voters said I was number one and that they wanted me. And so I had to go to the runoff. So now you're upset. They didn't do any negative stories on me in the primary because they didn't think I was gonna win. And they said all these great things about me and then all of a sudden you flip on me and now you start saying negative things about me. Well you didn't say those things in the primary. So why are you saying it now? And you know, I feel like this. If you can and I like Sam Adams. He's he's smart, he's policy oriented and he's great. I like working with smart people. But if you compare the two and you give him an opportunity, you damn well better give me one. I'm a woman and a woman of color. And um, I want to be respected in the same way, Um, but I'm not going to back down and you don't scare me. Look, what what can you say about me that you haven't already said about me, but people are still voting for me. So you got to be ready for it. And I think that at this time with the protesters, you need someone who's not afraid to talk to the protesters. My opponent said he wanted to have a peace summit like they did in Jimmy Carter's day, talking to, heads of state. So you're (laughs) going to compare today's protesters uh, to Jimmy Carter and talking to heads of state about people who are foreigners. We're talking about residents. they are real people who have real ideas about what police reform should look like and how we should reimagine it. And you want to bring all these people to the table? No. Sit down and talk to these people one on one. I put a call out to a couple of people uh last week and i said i want to meet with the protesters and i want to meet with them one-on-one they said meet us at irving park we stood there for two hours talked in a circle many of the folks were men and they talked about what they wanted and it was still clear defund the police get the feds out of here and figure out how to um put resources into the community so i knew i was on the right track you can't be afraid to talk to these folks and i just don't think that my opponent um is is capable of doing that right now without having others in the room. This is the problem why they're protesting because they never get an audience themselves. They never get people in power and to speak truth to power. And they were excited and they were happy that I was there listening to them, just listening.
0: So. I can definitely attest to you not being afraid to have those conversations uh shout out to donovan smith he's a contributor uh for the numbers i saw some footage i believe it was from either sunday or monday night when you took the stage uh i think it was on the back of the back of the pickup truck to um to 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 talk to some protesters yeah
1: Um, and it was their idea i had talked to them early that morning that sunday morning at irving and so they said well we're going out you gonna come and we (laughs) want you to speak your truth you're a black mom i said well you know what I said, I looked at um, John Lewis's body being carried over the Edmund Pettus Bridge this morning to um, Mm -hmm. acknowledge his presence and what he did for us to to give us the opportunity to vote. I said, today is the day. This is the 60th day, and I have something to say. I have something to say from a Black mom's perspective. I I love what the wall of moms were doing. I love what the, the wall of veterans were doing, but I just felt like there was no Black voices down there. People were chanting Black Lives Matter but they weren't coming from black voices. And I wanted to lend my voice and I wanted my, my son and my grandkids to see that yes, your grandmother is not afraid and it doesn't matter. You can speak your peace and we can have social justice and we, and we can have it in a peaceful way. And, and I have to tell you, people were peaceful down there. It's what happens after 11 o'clock that's a whole different animal of what goes on down there. But people were peaceful. They were listening, they were chanting. You know, it was inspiring. And and then I looked in the park where a lot of folks who are houseless, they sleep prior to COVID, prior to protesting. They they haven't moved. But because of all the people that have come down there, they have organized food for the uh, folks who are houseless. They have something to drink and it's it's almost like a party atmosphere. But then, then you have this, this backdrop of George Floyd. And so I got up on there to say, today, you're gonna to hear from a black mom. Right. Today, you're gonna to hear from someone who raised a black son in this community. And I will be the first black mother on that city council and the second Afri- African-American woman on that council. And I think my voice is needed. Um, my level of consciousness about stuff. I know what it means to be a renter. I know what it means to raise a black man alone. I know some of the circumstances around social um, interactions that are acceptable and not acceptable. And I know what it's like to be a professional with a kid and having to take them to daycare and then go to work and then work till 10, 11 o'clock at night for an elected official. I know what that looks like. I had a lot of help from my family. Um, If I didn't have my family here, I wouldn't have been able to do that job with Senator Wyden for 21 years. Uh, I think Jefferson, we cross paths a lot on the weekends and, and nights and meetings. That's what this work is all about. So I'm very clear on who I am.
0: With regards to Black Lives Matter, uh, what has the mayor done right or wrong? Uh, how would you advise him?
1: Well. I have advised him along the way. I've sent him many letters on what he should be doing. Okay. And, but what I think the mayor, is, he's attempting to do, he's, um, he's trying to balance between um, what's right and what's just and what perception is and what reality is on the streets. And he's caught in the middle because when he goes left, then one of his city council people, they pull him back another way. Um, he doesn't have a unified voice on how to go forward with this, and that is so important because they're they're flip flopping things that are going on on that city council. And it would be great to have him be a voice that is a voice of the commission. Not that we're we're all you know in in one lockstep, but it would be nice to say. Portland City Council believes this, and this is how we're gonna go forward. But at any given time <laughs> he's gonna he's, he's going contrast with Commissioner Hardesty or Udaley or even Commissioner Fritz, but it, it looks like it's all over the place. And so then it looks like he's not really strong. Um, I, I just think that um, help is on the way and um, he just needs some more help on that city council.
0: You and I were in a meeting, I want to say maybe the second week into the protest. Uh, I'm going to thank you for attending that. It was called by a young black protester. Uh, Lou Frederick was also in that meeting. And there was a lot of. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a lot of tension um, in that in that interaction based on some of the frustrations he was feeling. I know I
1: felt him not being
0: supported. Yeah. Um, first, I want to thank you for that, you know, the, the way you handled that situation. Um, I want to ask you, what's the move in getting more people, the right people, listening to what's happening between protesters and the mayor and City Hall? Like, How do we get that dialogue really going?
1: Well, what got me moving was when Dre said he couldn't get a meeting with the mayor. I texted the mayor on his personal cell phone and said, I got some folks that I want you to meet with that that say they want you to hear their voice can you do that? And the mayor immediately said, yes, can you help to set that up? And um, Dre was happy. Um, See, I have a little Dre, okay? Mm -hmm. So I understand exactly who he is, but I was trying to direct him in a way that was going to be positive, that would keep him within the line so that we didn't have to go and get him some bail money. Um, (laughs) And I didn't want him to do that because I wanted to, you know, really kind of put his energy and his excitement about being in this game and dre Dre and his son if you see the pictures of me uh, from there that was Dre's son that was that was doing the music behind me in the picture
2: gotcha.
1: and um, Dre got me look look he kept me safe he got he got security around me he had, and when it was time for me to go he had security that that they had put together and they got me out of there safely without you know, a bunch of foolishness. And so, you know, I got much love for him. And he was out there the previous week and he got shot in the head with a um, concussion grenade. Mm. And he actually thought he was going down. I was listening to his uh, Facebook Live and his wife was like, all right, baby, you're not dying, you're not dying. We just just keep talking, don't go to sleep. Just keep talking, don't go to sleep. And my son played football, and he went to University of Washington. And that's the first thing they tell you. He had a a concussion, he got sideswiped doing a kick return. And they tell you, don't go to sleep, because if you go to sleep, you may not wake back up. And I mean, she was talking to him, she was working with him. And Dre, two days later, he back out there again. And he was there over the weekend. So I, I appreciate, they have a lot of commitment and dedication, and we need to harness that and, and put that in a way that that is going to be meaningful for the entire community. And, um, I, I, I am going to be someone that I feel like they will be able to trust because if I tell you I'm going to do something, I'm going to work on something, I'm going to do it. And, you know, you remember from the meeting, he, he didn't have much trust in, in the current city council.
0: Correct. He did not. He really didn't. And for one of his issues to be safety and then that, had that happen to him. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was, was on a, a um, Zoom this morning with um, Anthony Blake. They call him uh, Brother Love. You may know who Brother Love is.
2: I went to high school with yes. us. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah, and over at Grant. Yeah, he did. And he's he was on my um, show this morning. He's, he talked about being hit. Um, I saw his show Saturday night late. It's about two o'clock one morning and he was just like, there's a spiciness in the air you know, he, he's giving you this color commentary. Uh, he said he was out there for 68 days. Um, but folks like him, we need to be talking to him. We need to be down on the ground with him. And I'm so excited that he's doing the 10,000 person march from King Elementary to Peninsula on Saturday. I'll be there at two o'clock. And he's trying to get more black voices who don't feel comfortable going downtown that they will march for police brutality to end here in the community. Um, And so I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be inspiring and it's going to be engaging and uh, I can't wait for Saturday.
2: Let's talk about independent police review. You mentioned it in this interview. You have called for it. it. It is, as we record this, up for a vote today in the city council. It has been described as Joanne Hardesty's plan. I think it is also fair to say it's something that you called for some time ago. Yeah. yeah, Go ahead.
1: Yeah, I called for it on, um, it was around June 5th or June 8th when I dropped my plan. And um, I sent it to all the city commissioners and I called the mayor personally and and went point by point of what my plan was. And I also called Daryl Turner and I told him he probably is not going to be happy with me um, and in fact, he said I can I can support three of these. He didn't support the the um, the qualified immunity, but um, he could work with with the other three around the independent review, uh, reallocating the dollars and some of the things about the rubber bullets and and the chokehold. I think it was the chokehold in there. He was like, we can work with some of these things. And so that was like, okay, cool. But we sent it to every commissioner, and I was talking about having an independent review back in June. Commissioner Hardesty, to her credit, she's pushing one of the, one of the uh, points in my plan. And I don't care if she got it from me or she just thought of it magically. That's okay with me. I just want it to be done. But I see uh, in the paper that the uh, police uh, union, they don't believe that that vote is possible or, or legal. At this point. So they were talking about it yesterday.
2: And so talk about either why it's important or what are some of the most important elements of an it? Cause there's some degree of civilian oversight. Now the criticism, it's not sufficiently independent and it doesn't have enough teeth. How do you make sure it's truly independent and how do you make sure it actually is? Relevant? You have to
1: codify it. You have to codify it with, with the teeth because depending on which administration is in will depend on how strong it is or how weak it is. But if you put the teeth in the actual um, uh, charter, you will you will keep it and it will be the same uh, until you change it again. So I think that um, this is the right move. Uh, the lawyers will have to figure out if it's legal or not, but I think it's important to have.
0: Of all the things you've learned on the campaign trail regarding transforming police culture, what is the most important? What is the heart? And also what is the hardest?
1: I think the hardest is trying to tell, you know, young men that it's not a matter of when or if you're going to come in contact with law enforcement, it's when, and I think that that is the hardest thing to do because I prepared my son for years what was going to happen to him once he learned how to get his his, uh, permit and, and drive. The first year that he got his driver's license driving my car, he gets pulled over by the police and totally forgets everything that I taught him. Mm -hmm. He wanted to state his case. Uh, Why did you pull me over? Instead of just being quiet, give them the driver's license, give them the title, done. Done. But he immediately called me. He was so shaken up after that, that first incident. He called me to come and get him. I couldn't because I was at my aunt's and I didn't have a car. He had my car. <laughs> so I got there to him. And I said, why don't you just go to the house? And he said, no, I'm waiting for you. He, was, he got stopped right around the corner from our house. Wow! And the police said you, that they thought he stole the car. He's like, this is Loretta Smith's car. He's like, that's my mom. He's like, you have different last names. Duh yeah and (laughs) i mean there's some cultural implicit bias that come comes into play when you're when you're faced with talking to officers that they think certain things this is not you know ozzy and harriet we we do have different last names we people take on a different name people get remarried but but the issue is um, he hadn't stolen it, and, and, and there is some trauma for him when police drive alongside him. He's very conscious, and he wants to do things the right way. He knows now not to open his mouth because he can get his head blown off, and I told him that. I don't know of any black mother who can go to sleep at night before their teenager uh, gets home, and they have the car. Mm-hmm. I, I could never go to sleep. He's like, Mom, why don't you just go to sleep? I can't go to sleep. There's so much out here in these streets and I need to know that you're safe before I can just doze off in a good sleep because I'm, I'm waiting to hear a telephone call. And he didn't understand that. And he understands that now as a parent, but he didn't understand that how I felt. I, I wasn't trying to be mean and saying, no, you can't drive the car. You can't go anywhere. But I wanted him to understand that there are some things out there that are not for you.
2: Right. Let's talk some more about policy areas. You want to start with budget and economy? You want to start with transportation, or do you want to start with something else?
1: In terms of what I would like as, as a bureau? No, where, where do you want to start? Well, say again? We, what You mean in terms of reallocating pre- police reform? Is that what you mean? No,
2: thinking? I just mean what do you want to talk about next? Let's take, let's, ta- let's, take, let's, take, let's take budget and economy unless you want to do something, unless you really want we can, to We can do
1: point. the budget. We can do the budget. Um, I so think that
2: Mm-hmm. what what I, what I think we know and and Dan Ryan has made a has, has stated this multiple times uh, is that we are heading towards economic significant challenge. He's not the only one who recognizes that. And then, and so we had some discussion about, well, what would you cut, right? What what would you cut in the budget or where would you find additional revenue? Let, let's put that question to you. You've already offered something. You you put forward a bolder cut than the city council did in the police bureau. So that's one. You already have some money to play with that other people have not identified. Mm-hmm. Where are some other areas you would prioritize to address coming budget challenges?
1: Well, the first thing that I do is to try to figure out, um, when, where's the debt service at? Debt service is put in permanent budget. And so if we have some debt service that's being, um, that's falling off in the next year or two, let's just say we got $20 million worth of debt service. I'd look at that first to figure out how we put that $20 million in our current budget. But the most important thing is um, being a small business owner, we we were allowed to put our taxes to July 15th. -hmm. Since the city of Portland didn't have their full tax um, picture, we have to reopen the budget in August or September to look at who came in, how much money came in. So first I have to look at that one first. But after that, I'll be looking at debt service. The other piece I'll be looking at is general obligation bonds. Uh, we're not at the, the state gives us a certain percentage. I'll just use an uh, a even number, 2% we're only using 1%. I'd be trying to figure out how to use another 1%, particularly in this, you know, I mean, bonds are cheap right now. And then I'd just be looking at what is in our core service because what we offer is infrastructure, permitting, street care, and um, 911 services, fire, and police. I try to make sure that those were, you know, made whole to do the minimum amount of work Um, and then we can start with some of those one time only uh, kind of marks. I don't know what they are in the city but I go to the one time only to see if that's something that we need or don't because in this climate we have to have the essential services working for the city in the residents of Portland. And then I tried to figure out how do we get additional stimulus dollars. I know that there's a big fight right now between the Democrats and the Republicans about how much money should be brought back. I mean, I think it's unconscionable that um, the Congress would set up a space for unemployment to give you $600 a week and then take it down to 200. Senator Whiten had been working on that issue because he's the the Senate finance, um, uh, not chair yet, but he's ranking member And that was his bill that passed. And so now the Republicans don't want to expand it to the end of the year. And they should because we don't know when we're coming out of this COVID crisis. There is enough money in in that federal budget that we can rework some some stimulus packages so that the everyday person will be able to still get that $600 a week if they need it.
0: With regards to the I-5 expansion, Uh, Should there have been a push against it earlier or is the process playing out as it should?
1: I think the process is playing out as it should. Um, I think the process probably got slowed down somewhere and um, folks at the Albina Trust and and others have, you know, said that, you know, they're not playing fair. And um, I'd actually like to have the transportation bill to be honest with you.
2: And let's talk about that then, Loretta. What is your vision for Portland transportation over the next 20 years? And let me and let me offer my own bias, which is and a critique we've talked about on the program, which is we still have so many of the same transportation habits we had 20 years ago. We had 40 years ago. They had 60 years ago. They have 80 years ago, even though how we're living our lives is changing. The crowding of the city is changing. Climate change is more on our minds than it was before. What's Loretta Smith's vision of transportation in Portland and the surrounding area?
1: Well, what I know is that the lives of people who live east of 82nd, it's very challenged because we don't have transportation that goes north and south. And And so I need to figure out how to make sure that that we have those transportation um, opportunities. As we're talking about expanding bike lanes in the central Portland area, I'm gonna be talking about putting in sidewalks in East Portland where we don't have them. I'm gonna be talking about how how about TriMet, we start using those electric buses that are, that are going alongside 82nd and 205 in the J District where you have some of the most, um, the, the worst toxic air in the city, why don't we try Putting the electric buses, the, the, the pilots out there first instead of Southwest Corridor? And how do we figure out, you know, how do we get those protected bike lanes out in East Portland? How do we make sure that the services that we're seeing in inner Portland, inner Northeast Portland, that they're seeing out in East Portland? Because if we do, we can now begin to bring business out there. Did you see that report, that employment report that came out, I think it was sometime in 2018, and it talked about where the jobs were, where the $100,000 jobs were, where the $50,000 and less. Well, uh, east of 82nd, that's where all the $50,000 and less jobs are. But if we can attract new business to come in there, we can live, work, and play all in the same area. But right now, the, the concentration of jobs, you have to go in. To get those jobs so now you have folks you have single parents who have to take their kids to daycare before they go to work and figure out how to do this in a timely manner get enough sleep do i mean it is such a cycle i did that cycle for for many years and so we have to figure out how do we do that how do we recruit additional businesses and so that's why we have to get this recovery on way because 85 percent of our economy is based on small business if we don't get this economy started back, we're going to start seeing companies divest out of, out of Portland when we've been actually getting in the neighborhood of 40,000 people a year for the last six years or so. That's why we're going to get another congressional district. I mean, this is a sustainable place. It's beautiful, but it's turned into something that I don't even recognize on TV at night. Um, and it's just a two, three, four block radius but people, my relatives call me and says, you know, Portland is under siege. I said, no, there's a two block <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's under siege. Um, but it's, it, I don't like looking at my businesses uh, boarded up downtown. I mean, people are afraid. And yeah. the first thing that I'm going to do is Tom Reinhardt sent out a letter saying that uh, City Hall won't open until after the first of January well that's going to be one of my first asks to 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 you know let's rethink that because if we look as if we're afraid in city hall to be downtown how can we expect others to stay and to to grow and to recover we 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 have to put a line in the sand and say no we're open for business and we're going to work in city hall now there are certain um jobs that can be done from home and, and, and it depends on how severe this covid crisis uh, gets. Too, but I think we need to open up city hall and say we're open for business.
2: Well, let's, let's dwell on that for a sec. 14 a record setting number of people died yesterday as we record this. 14 people died of covid-19. Uh, that's not because of something you did. That's not something because, because of something the mayor did. That's not because of something the governor did. It might have been because of some stuff the president didn't do. But it doesn't look like this thing is going away anytime soon. What should be the posture? I know that local businesses are putting a lot of pressure on the governor, on the mayor and others. to Say, hey, open up. We can't survive. Open up. We can't survive. The challenge other people see is, uh oh, if we open up, we'll never survive because we'll never get through this. How do we strike that balance?
1: Well, you know, if if I knew how to answer that question, I'd be governor today. Um, or even president. but, but the I don't issue think is there's any really do-
2: evidence to suggest it would make you president. I, I think that one scientific <laughs> knowledge and ability uh, to be president at this point do not necessarily correlate. They uh, might, but no evidence. Well, let me tell you this. First
1: of all, we can social distance. We know if we wash our hands, we social distance, put on our mask, that should keep us safe. And we have to practice that in our departments on how to do that. And in those bureaus where we can't social distance, we need to let folks, telework. And what this has done, because I was going to, I was going to put forward something that said, even before COVID, in 2018, I I, I recommended this. Why don't we allow folks, those folks, um, in terms of climate change, why don't we allow some folks from the different bureaus to work from home? And I proposed that in 2018 and now we know we can effectively work from home. We're on Zoom. People are Zooming and they're they're doing work and and in some instances, they're being a little bit more productive than they were at work. But today, I just think that it is just so hard to predict um, what's gonna happen. But as long as we follow the guidelines, I mean, and not the foolishness that the president is talking about, we need to put our masks on, go outside, social distance, And and let's see how this thing plays out for those uh, kind of businesses that require you to be really close. You have to be really careful. So I don't know to answer your question. I don't have the I don't have the silver bullet answer for this, but I do want to show that we're we're stronger than this
2: and we're Mm -hmm. better than this. Who would you listen to? Let's say you're getting calls from the Portland Business Alliance. You're getting calls from people who donated your campaign. And they're saying, we need to open up. You want to open up City Hall. We want to open up REI. And at the same time, there's some scientist. Maybe they're wearing glasses. Maybe they got, I don't know, pocket protector. Who are you listening to when you're making that decision?
1: <laughs> I'm calling Dr. Fauci first. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not listening to our president. I'm calling Dr. Fauci first. Um, no, it, you know, it's, you, you have to figure out how to balance that. And, and I got to think that there are a lot of folks who are not coming back. And if we don't set aside pots of money for our small businesses so that they can weather this storm, whether it be six months from now or nine months from now, um, we got to keep our people safe. I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to err on the side of being safe and having public safety.
0: Dan Ryan said that a key strength if it's is getting the right people in the room to come to an objective and then work to that objective. You said your strength is connecting problem to solution to resources. Um, what's the difference in your approaches?
1: I think you need, I am a, I'm a policy maker, but okay. the issue is I can bring people around the table. Uh, what I was able to do effectively is to bring a group of people around the table to create that uh, promised neighborhood in partnership with United Way. So I do have those same skill sets. And what, I, what, what I'm what i also really good at is timing. Um, there has to be a timing that goes along with everything that you do. Like right now, um, my phone is ringing off the hook with people asking me for ideas on what, what we can do for this or that. It's not even my expertise or what even I should be doing for the Black community. Um, I think that everything is gonna come in in its place. I think right now with with Commissioner Hardesty and um, with Commissioner Rubio, who's going to to be there, that for me, I can work with them. So we, we need to come up with some creative solutions to make sure that our city is going, to make sure that we have an opportunity to make everybody thrive, not just survive in this city, and i'm just looking forward to it i think everybody recognizes that they have to that they have to work with people and have to bring new people to the table and new voices and i'm seeking out new voices Mm -hmm. and i don't want people to think that we're only going to work with with one group of people i want to be able to kick down the doors of city Mm -hmm. hall and say we have a new front door (laughs) and that front door is through uh commissioner smith's office So (laughs) let's let let this whole thing begin. I am am so honored and um, so thankful to have this opportunity at this time to be able to lead because I think we need my bold kind of leadership. And I think we need to show that we can, you know, we can actually hold down a council, uh, uh, ladies of color, Ah, uh, black women have been doing it for a long time. We just need to put it on showcase. Uh, we've had we've had five white men for a long time in this 170 years. So I think we need to have our our respect. Like my my son said, we are gonna put some respect on your name, mom, and we mm-hmm. gonna get you down there to uh, city hall.
2: Do you have some more minutes? We gave Dan Ryan 75 minutes. We'd like to give you the same amount of time. You good for another t- 10, 15 minutes? Yeah. Great. I want to talk a little bit about the restructuring of city government and not as simple as where do you land, but let me, it'll take me a little long way around the barn, but let me give the same lead up we've given before. Uh, very often the question is posed, do you like the current form of government or do you want it to be changed? I'm more interested in a conversation about trade-offs. For instance, how do you make sure that five? Usually the critique we hear now is, well, how do you make sure five city councilors, who each have different bureaus they run are in alignment around policy, priorities and budgets and not fighting over fiefdoms related to their subject area? Also, how do you diversify if councilors are elected citywide? I think you have just made a case that already Portland is making some historic moves and necessary moves in that direction. Here are two other concerns. One concern that comes up is the segregation, the, the balkanization of counselors who are focused on their own plot of land. If we move to a district-based system, that people will advocate for their plot of land more than they advocate for issues as a whole or the whole city, and how we soften that risk. Relatedly, how do we make sure if we have a city manager, there is still accountability with people to their elected officials if that city manager isn't elected? With all of that, and I could say more, but I'll try to say less, with that as a backdrop, how do you think we should be thinking through the process towards a potentially different form of city government?
1: I think we have to have it. I think that uh, we have to have representation in every corner of this city. I would have never gotten elected the first time I ran for office to office if it wasn't in a district. I, I, I served in north, northeast Portland out to St. John's and up to 122nd when I first ran. And that was because I knew the people in that district. Um, it would be hard for me, just out of the gate, never being an elected official to run for a county-wide seat. So I believe in districts and I got voted in in a district. city citywide races, as you know, Jefferson, are very, very tough. And they're they're very tough to um, to to saturate. Uh, you can walk your district when you're a state rep. You can walk your district when you're a state senator, but it is really hard to knock on every door in the city of Portland. So having a district where people know you, they can hold you accountable for uh, helping, um, you know, put some life into Understood. issues. And resources to people who need it. And you have to do it. It's not it's not gonna be that hard. We did it at Multnomah County and the chair was basically the city manager. Under the charter, she's responsible for the bureaus. We worked in every we worked all over in every different agency, so that wasn't a problem. All you had to do is get two other people to say, Yes, I want to support what you're talking about doing.
2: So would you run the city? Would you run the city roughly like the county? Would you have sort of a strong mayor system and then I think a hire- strong mayor
1: I think a strong mayor system would be great and we need to expand the number of uh, city commissioners that we have so that we can effectively um, serve everybody so that everybody is getting, um, getting an opportunity to have a voice and to have some resources put into their area. See, I think what happened was when I got in, I don't think people really aggressively worked with coalitions of color, uh, underserved communities and organizations the in the way that I did, and so when I came in saying, "Okay, this is how we need to spend these resources, when I saw that the library district was moving and we had like what was it like thirty million dollars left that we could spend in, in, in permanent, nobody came to me and said it was instinctual to me okay so they 're gone, so they got a big you know, geography. So I'm gonna go get some of this money. And so I know how to read the charter. The charter said the chair drops and the um, and the commissioner's amend. And when that chair dropped, I amended that budget and said, this is where I think those dollars should go. And what would really get to my last nerves when I was working in Congress, um, I would see the county do a hearing. Every year they would say, they would put the uh, senior budget on the chopping block or wouldn't put it in permanent budget. I was like, they just put it in permanent budget so these seniors don't have to have a heart attack. I said, if I was down there, I'd I'd make sure that their budget got put in the permanent budget. When this happened, I put it in permanent budget. And I dropped it. I had Jeff Kogan's help. All I needed to go do was get one more person to say, we're going to put the seniors in permanent budget so they don't have to come down here every year and fight for, you know, it basically was kibbles. and, 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 you know, stress out their health and everything else. And we knew we were going to support it. So why make them go through this?
2: So let me follow up. Let's say, so we move to a system under the Smith system. It's districts, more than five, and then a strong mayor, probably. So the trade offs it seems to me, are here. Right now, if you go and lobby a city councilor, you know that that person you lobby has power beyond their vote. They, in fact, have staff that can implement stuff. They wield real juice under a system which is more like a city legislature. You mentioned Congress. One of the challenges that Senator Wyden has, he's our senior senator, he still doesn't get to implement his program, right? He still has to rely upon the presidential administration and on down in order to implement a program that the Senate votes for. That level of accountability in Portland is arguably connected to how civically engaged we are. How do you preserve some of that? What are some ideas for how we can preserve some of that robust civic engagement and people power?
1: I'm looking to, to get ideas from the public because each commissioner will have at least four people that they can nominate to the charter review. And so I'm really interested in seeing what people are doing across the country and interested in seeing what people here locally are talking about because i'm i'm up for um ideas outside of my own and trying to make sure that we get the best city government that we have and people but i I just i told folks yesterday i said i just want y'all to know everybody keeps talking about a city manager city manager the average city manager stays only maybe two to two to four years
2: yeah
1: in a job so Everybody talks about we want continuity when we want, well, those city we managers, <laughs> good luck. Yep. And so I don't want people to get a false impression to think that the way that we're doing it right now may not be the best way or that we'll have so much more continuity. Then you'll just have one person who's responsible for all this. And we're still going to have to get that information to that person. And we're still going to be, you know, kind of raggling over what, what we want and how we want it. So I think, you know, we have the best of both worlds in a way right now, but we also have a, a very weak mayor system. So it's like having five little mini mayors at the city. <laughs> and um, so we need to figure out how we can do that, where we can still get some of the things that we need for the people in our districts that we represent if we become single member districts.
2: And that's the last my last follow up. Then I'll turn it for ambush for any other topics he wants to make sure we get to. And that's the other trade off. You mentioned Congress. Right now, the idea of bringing pork home to one's own district is endemic, and you don't have to call it pork benefits, resources to one's own district, one's own state, one's own congressional district, legislative district, you name it, is endemic to our former government. That has not been as big a deal in the city of Portland because every city councilor runs statewide. Any notions about how we make sure that we don't just trade off the fiefdoms of, I've, I care about the Water Bureau, I care about transportation and trade those for fiefdoms of, I care about Southwest, I care about East Portland, I care about Irvington.
1: Right. Well, the mayor and the and the commissioners get to determine where those stimulus dollars comes in, and it just has to serve the city of Portland. And then we have to come up with priorities. And so if you're someone who is um, in poverty in Southwest Portland, and you need help because of COVID, and you're also a mother who lives in Gateway who has the same situation? I just think that it's around the issue. Um, no matter what zip code you're in, and if you need help, and we've decided that um, housing or 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 healthcare or workforce is going to be our priority, it doesn't matter where you live. It just matters that you're able to get the help. And um, you know, if you're going to be serious about single-member districts, then what you do is you take that 5.8 million dollar budget billion dollar budget Mm -hmm. and you chop it up into five pieces and say this is your this is what you're going to do for your folks and that's how you that's how you do it if you want to be fair but that's not we don't want an equal pie we just want to have a just pie Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to do more for communities of color in order to keep them maintained because. Covid has shown we we've been we've been shown that and we've been exposed that we have a lot of underlying health issues in our community, and if you do, Covid attacks you more aggressively, and if you're over a certain age, Covid attacks you. More aggressively. So we have to figure out how do we spend these dollars that we have right now and make sure that the most vulnerable. Not saying that, you know, everybody's going to get an equal point. But I think it's and I think that's what the protesters are talking about. They want they want just they want justice. And I think that we have to walk and talk this out and we're going to have to have a lot of conversations. I'm not here to give the top down answer. I'm here to be a convener to make sure that I'm talking to everybody. So I get a sense and a feel for what people want in this city. I think it's, it's past the time of elected leaders just you know ramming things down the throats of the people in the city. We have to flip that and, and, and get engaged in our community and have them tell us what they want. Because if we're in this together, then we we have to be in this all the way together, including making those decisions.
0: Loretta, what are you most excited about as you think about serving Portland in this role?
1: I'm, I'm most excited about being a, um, being a role model for young women, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what color you are, and I want little girls like my grandkids and my little cousins to say, I can do that too. I can make a difference too, and I want to be able to carry myself in a way that is honorable and a way that people will want to do the same thing that I'm doing as a public servant. And so that's, you know, that is so important to me because we have to leave a legacy. We have to set a blueprint. I mean, we're in 2020. It wasn't until 2018 that we had our first black woman on the board. Right. And 2020 gave us our first Latina woman. And 2020 is going to give us our first black mother. So <laughs> we 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 have a lot of catching up to do. And I think we got the a, a good mix of people with, with backgrounds and skill sets that will that will serve us all in in a way that we can be a whole lot better than where we were, not just going back to normal, but being better.
2: Before we wrap. I got to ask this. I should have asked it earlier. What do you see? You've now had a bunch of joint appearances with Dan Ryan. You have heard his rap and he's heard yours. What would you identify as the biggest one or two pick three, if you want biggest policy differences between you and Dan Ryan? Well,
1: you you said it in regards to policy issues. Um, I think that my thought around housing and homelessness is different than, than my opponent. Um, I think we need to be land banking so that we can level the playing field for, um, for, for our folks who are rent burdened. Um, I, I don't think we can build our way out of this, um, you know, out of this economic uh, doldrum, because if you look at how long it takes to get pre-development uh, um, permitting, design review, and actual building of a place, it takes anywhere between four to six years. So even if we had a billion dollars this year, we couldn't put a billion dollars worth of property, you know, affordable housing in the city of Portland. But what I would do is I take the multi-program and it's a program that's um, jointly done between the city and the county to give property uh, tax abatement to uh, new projects. I would use those same property tax abatements for existing multiplexes so that we could buy those up, fix them up, and, and put affordable housing online within a year. So those are some differences in, in our approach. And I would take that $60 million that Multnomah County and the city of Portland are splitting um, to pay for the joint office, I'd take that $60 million. Those folks who are actually houseless and unsheltered on our city streets, downtown, and out through our neighborhoods, I would house them first. And I would figure out how to get these schools open that have been sitting for years. We need to go into partnership with Portland Public Schools in these elementary schools and middle schools that are around our city that have been closed for years. Let's figure out how do we transform those in a way that makes sense for people who need affordable housing. And the third thing is my, my um, opponent is not talking about um, making sure that we build wealth within communities of color. I want to build programs and, you know, the CDBG money is federal money that the city of Portland that we um, act well, it's prosper Portland actually administers it. I want to use that that CDBG money, the Community Development Block Grant ambush. <laughs> um, I want that money to be used to help people buy homes in a greater degree. And I think Senator Wyden and Senator Merkley can actually put additional dollars in the CDBG program so that we can have more money to do more for more families.
0: Excellent. Um, Where are places that you think you need to improve or hire around, not just your strengths, but also some of your weaknesses?
1: No, I think I need to have smarter people than me all the way around. I um, I need to work with people just in terms of human resources and how to how to do that, and I'll be working with um, with folks to help me do that. But I also what I need is I need people who are dedicated public servants to work in this at this particular time, who want to really make a real difference, because I really need a I need a staff that's gonna that's gonna be around for a couple years to put in the work so we can build up relationships with people in the community so that they will trust us. Um, I don't think that a revolving door, the average time that a staff stay with me was, is about two years. But I think if you have folks who are gonna stick around a while and uh, it's engaging work, it's inspiring work, then people will stay around. Um, government is probably the safest bet for, um, for a career track. And I do know this, there's 10,000 people a day, every day who retire, who are baby boomers. So Mm. we have a lot of opportunity for growth in terms of workforce and making sure that we get folks that brain drain that's gonna happen in every local government. We're all gonna be looking for that that next top employee. I want us to be an employer of choice that when you think about local government and wanting to work for local government, that the city of Portland is your for- first choice. So um, we have to train folks and we have to be in the community so we know who folks are, um, not put up a lot of barriers and challenges to getting into the city of Portland and just making sure that um, we we take all that energy and, and um, information and that we pass it on and we pass that baton on to the new folks so that we can continue to grow. Without that, we're, we're going to always be behind the eight ball. So.
2: Loretta Smith running for city council position two ballots are due August 11th. Loretta, thank you so much. Any thought you want to leave us with?
1: I just want to say that, um, right now we don't have time for on the job training in this, at this time, we need someone who is a bold leader, someone who has leadership Behind them, experience and a track record of being effective in local government. Um, we have to have somebody that we can actually trust, and that uh, we trust, and we have to make sure that all of our communities feel like the city council is a just city council. And I think bringing on new, the new folks that is going to um, show that that we really believe in our leaders. I um, I can't think of. Anything that I'd rather be doing right now than to actually um, Being a public servant right now in this crisis in this protest era because I think I was built for it. It's it's not Often that you get someone with my rare experience and background on the federal level. County Commissioner community person and a mother. I, I just don't think that 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 comes along. This is like a once in a lifetime kind of opportunity, and I'm ready and I'm up for it, um, and I'm just ready to serve.
0: <laughs> thank you so much. This is amazing. Thank
1: you.
2: Thanks so much for your time, and thanks so much for your previous service and your willingness to jump in again.
1: All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Right. Bye bye. Bye, Ambush.
0: Bye now.